Welcome, friends, to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. Today's episode, we talk to Nikki Walker. Nikki is an Olympic athlete. Nikki is an Olympic equestrian. She represents the Canadian national team. And on today's episode, we talk about the sport itself because the sport happens to be her passion. Horses are her passion. Uh, she grew up with horses and it's super interesting to see what's involved in this sport. And it was uh, very interesting to learn about not just the training of the athlete, but the training of the horse and the history of the sport. So I think that it's going to be very educational. And with the upcoming Olympics, uh, it'll be something that you can get a little knowledge and hopefully watch the equestrian events. Um, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so we're live now with Nikki Walker. Nikki, welcome to the show. What's good with Ben V? And uh, Nikki's an Olympic equestrian, as we'll hear about in, in the intro. I'm going to give her a nice intro and give her pedigree and her experience. But yeah, so welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I wanted to just kind of start off by asking you about equestrian. Uh, you know, most of the people that I speak to, even in pro sports, they have no clue about this sport. They've seen pieces of it but they don't understand what's required. I have worked with equestrians in the past, so I know as an athlete what's required and know a little bit technically about the sport, but I'm, you know, nowhere what I'll learn today. So thanks and yeah. welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm always happy to chat about my sport that I love and uh, horses too. So I guess a lot of people don't know about the sport because it's completely different than other sports and the fact that you're dealing with an animal that you can't speak with through communication with your mouth. But there's a lot of other subtle communications that happen throughout your body and you're a physical trainer of yourself, but also of your animal too. And developing that bond between them is really what makes it special. But if you haven't had the chance to work with horses, it's a bit unique and most people don't actually understand the rules of the sport and what we work on day to day and all the different elements of the care of the horse and the care of ourselves too and the different training we do. Right. So how, how long do you actually have to train a horse and spend time with a horse before you can actually compete with that horse? So each rider is a bit different and it takes a bit of a different amount of time per horse because you might click with some really quick and others can take up to a year that you're really bonding with them to reach their full potential and horses peak at around 10, 11, 12 years old. So if you buy it, you get the horse at the young age, then you're really trying to develop it for 10 years before you're reaching maybe your its maximum capacity and your maximum capacity on that horse. So day-to-day, um, -day, I would ride my horse probably for an hour. Sometimes I get ridden twice, so it'd be two hours in total. And top riders will have a string of horses. Usually if you have three or four horses, that helps you kind of stay at the top of the sport all the time. So it's a big time commitment day-to-day. -day. And then uh, over the horse's career span, too, it it can be years of preparation for uh, developing that bond. Right. So you're training with several horses once you reach a certain level and some of them may be specific to certain events and training for those specific events. Now, how does the season work when you get to, let's say, a, a national level type competition where you're preparing for a world team or something like that? Yeah. So I find my program is that I pick certain competitions I want to do with each horse and I typically like to gear up for team events. There's a lot of individual World Cups you can do or one-off events that have bigger prize money or different world ranking points, but I like to always gear towards the team events. So 
I'll work back kind of months from that event and plan all the little classes I want to jump on the way to have my horse in his top physical shape at that time, me in my top physical shape at that time and feeling good for that event. And it's a year round sport. So, um, you can't have your horses compete every single week, like other athletes, they need to rest as well and, uh, recover too. So it takes a lot of planning per horse. I bet the logistics are unbelievable. And is it, is it a bit like, um, I hate it's a terrible analogy, but is it a bit like car racing where, you know, you have to look for a certain pedigree of horse, like the better the horse, you can have a great driver, but if you don't have a good car or a good team, you're not going to win. Right. So is it the same in, in equestrian? For sure. I think my only knowledge of uh, Formula One racing is really the Netflix show, which I'm obsessed with right now. But uh, with equestrian riding, it is like that. It's like kind of, you could have a great rider and a not great horse and it's not going to be good. You kind of need to find the chemistry between the two. And obviously if you have a great horse and a great rider, that's the one that's probably going to be the most reliable and pull off the best, best results most often. Right. And, and what are the, uh, like on an Olympic level, what are the events? Cause I know there's more of a show, which is dressage and then the jumping events, but I think it's categorized differently, isn't it? Yeah. So at the Olympics, there are, there's show jumping, which is the discipline that I do. And that's jumping over high meter 60 obstacles. And you have to do it within a specific time without knocking any rails down. There's dressage, which is kind of like the dancing of the horses and it's judged and uh, it's usually to music and on specific movements of the horse. And then there's three day eventing, which is a combination of show jumping, dressage and cross country. So like a cross country run, there's natural obstacles and um, it's over a longer period of time and different types of jumps. So there's those three. And then there's also equestrian sports in the Paralympics as well. Wow. And do riders cross over from one event to the other? Or at that level, do they train specifically for one event? At that level, you typically train for one event. But there's a handful of riders that have uh, done both. And kudos to them. It takes a lot to master one event. So mastering three or uh, doing them all at a high level would be very challenging. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine at that level. It seems to me like track and field. It's like, you know, you're, you're a good athlete, but at a certain point, you're either going to run the 400 or you're going to run the 100 or you're going to be a 1500 meter runner or, you know, you're going to do a long jump. It seems like you're going to want to specialize, especially at that level. Yeah, that's a great comparison. And actually horses specialize too for their events. So a horse that's a great show jumper probably couldn't also be a top dressage horse too. They know dressage on a basic level because we incorporate that in our training to have the horse knowing our aids on the flat before we jump. But I would not be able to go into a dressage ring and uh, pull off a good score. It's kind of different techniques you practice. Wow. You know what's always struck me about the sport? I felt like that's the type of sport that, like track and field too, has probably less than 20 like really top horse trainers that, and you kind of, you know, is it that way? Like globally, there's like, you know, 10 people or 20 people that, you know, you need to kind of get in front of them if you want to better yourself or you want to better the horse. Yeah, there's definitely some like legends of the sport. And uh, before the Olympics, people will try and be with those coaches during that time to really hit their peak. And there's also people that kind of do different things within the sport that they're specialized in a niche. So some people are really great at working with younger horses and producing them to hand them to top riders. Um, and there's trainers that are good at different elements of it too. And then you also need a good manager to care for the health of the horse, like the veterinarian and the farrier. It's really a whole team of people. Right. 
Wow. And in your event, Nikki, do you know ahead of time exactly what the obstacles are going to look like? And, you know, is there a particular course like, okay, we're doing this course? So there's actually each event has a different course designer and they have to do many different tests to reach that level to be the course designer for that event. So at the Olympics, they would have the best course designers in the world. And every time you compete, it's actually a different course with different jumps. So the horses can be surprised by the appearance of the jump and the rider needs to calculate how many steps they're going to do in between each fence. And um, that's kind of where it becomes technical and the real challenge of it, that you can practice at home what you think you might see in the ring, but you'll never know until kind of just half an hour before the competition, depending on when you go in the order. Wow. Half hour before the competition. Yeah. yeah. So therein lies that relationship with the horse. You know, yeah. you have to. So that's that's kind of the basic story of what you practice every day. You practice what you think you might see. And when you and your horse have that high level of communication, he knows what you want him to do, him or her to do. Then um, that's, I think, where the success lies, that you have that proper communication with your horse between your aids, which are your hand, your leg, and your seat, um, because it's a new course every time. So they have to uh, react quickly to your communication and aids. Right. Got it. The training. The training. Yes. Um, and And – Going into the Olympics, which are the countries that kind of are you, you, we should look out for, for someone who's interested in the sport and says, hey, I'm going to watch it? Yeah, that's a good question. So typically Germany, Belgium, France, Holland, they all have a really strong group of riders because it's so built into their culture and they breed a lot of horses. They have access to a lot of good horses. But the U.S. has an amazing string right now, too. And I train with the Irishman that's going to the Olympics, hopefully. So I'm also going to say Ireland in the mix. But in the past, Germany, uh, America, they're great. Oh, nice, nice, yeah. nice. And then going back a little bit, you mentioned the rider and you mentioned, you know, the training. And I know because we work together, but in terms of preparation and performance, a lot of people don't understand what type of athlete it takes to be to be on. Uh, at that level of rider and the level of endurance, the level of strength, the level of just athleticism to be able to, to do that type of course. So, you know, tell me a little bit about what your preparation is typically. Yes. I think a lot of people have the perception that it's just the horse that needs to be fit. And, um, in an old school way, a lot of riders kind of just focus on their horses too, but I'd say the younger generation is really, uh, geared towards himself and all like the access to technology that we have. And, um, how important it is that the rider is fit as well. So I like to do a lot of uh, cardio and Pilates because I find that Pilates kind of keeps me tighter on the horse and you can align yourself with your balance. But then last year um, in August, I had my, I tore my ACL and had some other complications with that. So that's when I met you and um, we worked kind of deeper than just the, the fitness training that I had, but more the balances that I had, um, keeping my body balanced and the strength and length between it as well. And that communicates to the horse too, because when you're sitting on its back and feel if you're shifted one way or another and the strength between both legs needs to be very even. Right, right. No, that makes sense. The posture is as you fatigue, you're going to change your position on the horse and that's going to affect your communication with the horse. That makes sense. Yeah. But also the endurance. I mean, people don't realize where your heart rate is going to get when you're going through that course you know, typically how long is an Olympic type event? Like what's, what's a typical time from start to finish? Yeah. So you actually have a time allowed that you need to complete the course and it'd usually be around like 80 seconds for the main round. So, uh, but that's like a full on sprint. Your heart rate really gets up there. And before that you've been warming up the horse in the practice arena. So 
you're kind of in there for the sprint uh, over all the obstacles, which there could be around 16 obstacles in a course. Um, so yeah, around like 80 seconds. And where's, where's your heart rate typically get when you're uh, in a competition? I'm sure you guys know. Yeah, I have my Apple Watch on. So when I'm in training uh, without jumping, it kind of is around like 120, just working on the flat. If I'm jumping at home, it's around like 140, my heart rate. And I think I reached a max of 187 when I was competing in Florida over the winter. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually funny. I have one yeah. horse that's a bit more difficult to ride. He takes a lot more physical strength, um, and it's always the highest on that horse. So shout out to him for keeping me fit. <laughs> yeah, it's like an 800-meter, high-level 800-meter runner. Yeah. For those 80 seconds, that's yeah. that's impressive. Um, and so now, what what's the future hold for you now? What do you want to do now? Because I know you competed in Florida and did very well. And so now, what, what are the goals going forward? Yeah, so um, I'm going to go to Kentucky next week, actually, for a couple competitions there. And then I have some horses in Europe right now with my trainer. So I'll meet up with him in Ireland and Holland after that. And uh, it's a bit tricky to plan with COVID because of the restrictions. But uh, just to get back on team events and hopefully the 2024 Olympics, that would be the next big, big goal. But until then, uh, getting back on Team Canada events and jumping clear rounds. Yeah, yeah. Are you able to get to get a lot of information from um, you and your team watching this upcoming Olympics and these competitions? Like, are you able to get a lot of valuable information other than just to watch the other athletes? Yeah, for sure. Visually, uh, you're always watching what kind of challenges they're building on course. Different course designers will build different things. And if you see a line that's difficult in the rain, you could say, okay, I'm going to go practice that at home now and watching top riders warm their horses up what techniques are they doing uh you can really take a lot in from visually watching everything interesting they change warm-up techniques for the horses huh yeah so you each horse that you have you kind of warm it up differently and each rider has a different way to warm up their horses so uh getting them the horses physically ready warmed up their body but also mentally switched on is a huge thing to have them mentally saying okay i'm ready to go i'm gonna jump a clear round uh it's a mental sport for the horse as well too right 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 wow yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you have to have a horse trainer, horse psychologist. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, if we could have a horse psychic, that would maybe help us sort out some issues. I bet. Have you ever seen the Pasofino horses in Puerto Rico? I've seen uh, videos of them before. Yeah. They're yeah. The no, they're steps. really beautiful. Yeah. 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 They're really beautiful. It's amazing how they get them to do that. I just, I, that yeah. baffles me how they get those horses to dance around like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so no, look, we're all going to be rooting for you. Where can people find you on social media and yeah, um, um, look for the I, Canadian team? Instagram, Nikki Walker 4, N-I-K-K-I Walker 4. And uh, I post a lot of horse stuff on there. So if you like horses, then uh, I post a lot of horse content. <laughs> Sounds good, Nikki. Thanks so much for being on the show. I look forward to uh, hearing about your future competitions and best of health. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for helping me with my rehab and getting me back in the saddle. Thanks again, friends, for listening to another episode of What's Good with Ben V. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, share it on your social media. We look forward to you sitting back and enjoying future episodes where we look behind the curtain and learn a little something about an athlete or an entertainer that you didn't know.